Well, were we for sure? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just a couple quick things. Uh, make sure your phones are on silent or vibrate. Uh, also want to remind you that uh, Mondays we have prayer here from 4 to 5.30 with the devotional. Wednesdays is the New Believers Bible Study for people that want to get grounded in the fundamentals of the faith, the doctrines of Scripture. Thursday we have a very... Uh, inductive Bible study that we're going through some really great material. And uh, I want to just encourage you to avail yourself to those blessings that the Lord has provided for you. Um, we're going to finish up chapter 2 today in Romans, and then we're going to just dive right in next time I'm up on chapter 3. Uh, just a couple questions before we dig into the text. These will be the last time I ask these for quite a while, but I, I want to ask them because we're going to be talking about circumcision this morning what that's really all about. We're going to dig into the scriptures and unpack it and say, what is the application of this for me? But as we dig into the text, here's some questions I asked you a couple times but several months ago. Are we authentic believers in Jesus Christ? And we don't have a slide for this, so don't worry, guys. Are we authentic? Do people see that we're authentic believers? Or is our attachment to Christ more of a superficial attachment? In fact, do we have a testimony or do we really have more of what would be like an empty testimony, testimony meaning, you know, we know about Jesus, but we really don't have an intimate relationship with Him. And more than ever today, do we just give this appearance of being a genuine follower of Christ or have we really mastered the art of just blending in well with the church? Have we really perfected the art of acting religious? Have we really died to self? Just thought I would ask you those questions to get you thinking about your walk with the Lord because Quite honestly, church, we don't really know how much time we have left, do we? Amen? It doesn't take even a novice believer to see that the world is spiraling out of control. If he was to come back this afternoon, would you be ready? Think about that. So we're going to read verses 17 through 29 in Romans chapter 2. You can follow along on the overhead as I read the Word of God, and then, then we're going to dig into the text. So, starting at verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and you rely upon the law and you boast in God and you know His will and you approve these things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, <coughs> a light to those who are in the darkness. You're a corrector of the foolish. You're a teacher of the immature. Having in the law, you have the embodiment of the knowledge of truth. Look at verse 21. You, therefore, you who are teaching another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach that somebody shouldn't steal, 
do you steal? You who say that you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You, you who boast in the law through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles or the unbelievers because of you, just as it is written. Now 25 through 29. For indeed circumcision is a value if, if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If therefore the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he's keeping the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, you're transgressing the law? Look at verse 28 and 29. Don't worry, we're going to unpack this. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So let's kind of unpack this this morning. Let's take a moment and review some of what we've learned last week. Now, I know that these are some of the toughest messages to hear. That's pretty much what happens with Romans. <clears throat> and I was also convicted in my heart about what Paul's teaching us here. So we had covered not just being hearers of the law, but doers of it acting upon what we're taught and applying it to our lives, I want you to also encourage you to take notes when you hear something that you can apply to your life. So let's look at slide five. Let's look at Romans 2.24. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So what have we learned if you've been following along with this at all? We learned that Paul was fully aware that the Gentiles were judging God by what they saw in these Jewish people. Keep in mind, up to this point, the unbelievers, the Gentiles, just a fancy name for unbelievers, they didn't have any, at that point, direct knowledge of God. So the Jews made the claim that they were God's own people. How do we apply that to us today, church? Do you remember from our last week's teaching? People will judge Christianity by how they see Christians living out each day. I want to say that again. I want you to hear that. People will judge Christianity by how they see Christians living out each day. So each of us needs to ask ourselves this question based on verse 24. I asked it last week. I'm going to ask it again. Is God's name being blasphemed because of me and how I live and behave? So some of us may be saying, well, what's that word blasphemy really mean? We don't really talk that way anymore. It's one of those old Bible verse words. 
Well, when you see the word blasphemy, it means that you're speaking evil of somebody or you're really over the top strongly criticizing somebody. You're injuring their name by giving a false report. So this begs the question, do people speak evil of or criticize Jesus because of my behavior or the way I speak around other people? Ask yourself that question if you claim to be a follower of Christ. Are people speaking evil of Jesus because of your behavior or the way that you're communicating around others? Are the people who know you and I, would they be saying something like this? What's really the point of being a Christian? Look at him or look at her. Church, they're judging Christ by how you and I behave. Not only do they judge Christ by our way of life, they also judge the truth of God the same way. They may be also saying things like this. Think this through this morning. They may be saying, you know, these Christians, these so-called Christians, you know, they talk about Jesus and they talk about His truth, but really, look at that person's life. Is that what the truth of Christ leads to by the way they're living out? each day? Are they going to the drug dealers? Are they sucking down the crack and getting drunk with the alcohol, doing promiscuous behavior, but telling people they're Christian? The unbelievers are like, there's no difference between that person's behavior and my own. Is that the kind of behavior in life that is a result of knowing Christ? That's blasphemy, church. So then, they judge the truth by what they see in his followers. And hopefully that's all of us. And I will say this again and again. How you and I live, church, generates consequences in our lives, but it also generates consequences in the lives of people that know us. Make no mistake about that. They judge Christianity by the way people who call themselves Christians live. So, does the way that you and I live out each day, does it make being a Christian attractive to other people where they want to say, you know, that person's gone through all this, but man, look at the hope that's in them. You know, the Jews did not always make being a Jew something that someone would want to be. They have the law. They have these Ten Commandments. <clears throat> But they chose not to obey it. So people are going to judge what it means to be saved by God by what they see in his followers. Think about it, church. You know, back in Paul's day, the Jews were always talking about deliverance and God's salvation. And the unbelievers would look at them and say to themselves, Is this the kind of blessing that God gives his own people? Slide six. Church, I had to ask these questions last week, and I want to ask it again. Does the way we live out each day, does it show unsaved people in our lives that we are enjoying and believe the gospel of God? Do you believe it? Here's another question. Do, do, they, see, do they see the hope that's in us? Do they see that you and I are holding on to the promises of God? Or 
Do they see us living as miserable people who have no hope, caving into all of the trappings and enticements of this world? Hear me this morning. They judge the power of God by what they see in His followers. Do the unbelievers look at your life? Do they look at my life? Are they thinking to themselves, where is their God? These Christians say that their God is the only true God. Does the way we live show them that we believe that? You know, last week I asked all of us to take a sobering look at the way we live and how we communicate with others. I want you this morning to be thinking about those areas in your life that you need to work on and I need to work on and that we need to repent about. You know, our unsaved friends and loved ones are watching. Please understand this. Your unsaved loved ones and friends, if they die without Christ, there's no pardon, there's no parole, they don't go to hell for five years, and then the governor gives them a writ to get them out and they're on probation. Please understand something. If they die without Christ and they die without Christ, understand this, it's a forever deal. We're talking about, and it's incomprehensible to our minds, eternity in hell without Christ. Slide 7. Let's look at this thing of circumcision here. Romans 2.25, For indeed, circumcision is of value. Now look at that clause there, the word if. If. If you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor law, means that you're breaking it, you're stepping over the line, your circumcision has become on circumcision. So there's a lot I want us to unpack here. And in order to understand this verse, church, we're going to need to take a moment and learn about what did Paul mean when Paul used the word circumcision. <clears throat> to understand that, this will help you and I better understand what Paul is really trying to communicate to the Jews of that day that he's writing this letter to in Rome. First, what is circumcision and what's so significant about circumcision? Where do we actually see circumcision first actually mentioned in the Holy Scriptures? So you and I are going to need to travel back in time to the Old Testament so we can understand the New Testament teaching on this. So here, first of all, understand this. The sign of circumcision was given to the Jewish people and no one else. Something else we may not realize Circumcision is actually older than the law. It came before the Ten Commandments. See, what Paul was doing, church, he was taking the Jews all the way back to Abraham, who God gave this seal of circumcision to. Put up slide 8. Let's look at, this is back in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 12. Key word there, I want you to be keeping in the back of your mind the word covenant. Very important word. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me. By the way, this is God talking. Between me and you, Abraham, and your descendants after you, every male among you will be circumcised. You shall, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign, another word, sign of this covenant. So think about the word covenant. 
This circumcision is now a sign of this covenant that is between Yahweh and Abraham. Verse 12. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. <clears throat> a servant who is born in your house or who you purchase with money from a foreigner who is not of your descendants. Notice the word covenant. And in verse 11, notice the words sign of the covenant. Very, very important. And you're going to see how this is all going to come together. and You're going to have that epiphany. Oh, yeah, okay. So the word covenant, Hebrew word is verith. It's derived from a root. The word actually means to cut. So then a covenant is a cutting. Today we're saying, you know, we're going to cut a deal with that guy. We're going to cut a deal. Berith is a cutting. So this covenant is a cutting with reference to the cutting or dividing. What they would do is they would take an animal and cut it in half, divide it into two parts. Then both parties would pass between them, making a covenant or a pledge that they're going to honor this agreement. So a covenant really is a contract or a pledge. This concept of covenant is important to scriptures. Now, I don't have time to go through the Abrahamic covenant, the Edemic covenant, the Noetic covenant, but this is basically a contract or a pledge. In fact, the word testament, we say we have the Old Testament and the New Testament is really another word for it's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So the Bible's made up of two parts. We have the Old Covenant and we have the New Covenant, or the Old Testament, the New Testament. Something else to keep in mind. Covenant was a well-known practice that was back in the Old Testament times. The Old Testament is much more than just Israel's history, church. It reveals to us the history of the covenants in which God has chosen to reveal His character. He's used it to reveal His plans. God has used the covenant to reveal His purposes for Israel and, of course, then all of mankind. That's you and I. It affects us as well, church. <clears throat> so then, I want you to notice how the Lord states this in verse 11. That circumcision is a sign of this covenant that God made with Abraham, his descendants, and the Lord. So how do we understand this? Circumcision actually marks the Israelites or the Jews as God's own people. Another possible dual significance to circumcision is this. Each time a male sees his body, he is reminded of his part and his responsibility in Yahweh's covenant. It is designed to remind the Jews of who they are. Second, it's a sign to God. You know, just like the rainbow was a sign to, from God to never destroy the earth by flood, and just like the blood on the doorposts was a sign for God to pass over the houses that had the blood on the doorposts, circumcision was a sign to God to remember His promise to Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. So it's a, it's a, it's a pledge, church. It's a contract, so to speak. So then we can say that circumcision is a means by which Abraham and his seed 
recognize God's lordship over them. Church, does God have lordship over you? Have you surrendered your life to him? You know, just like baptism is how, baptism, by the way, does not save you. Please understand that, and I'm not going to get sidetracked. We will eventually cover it. Baptism does not save you, okay? Baptism is how you and I identify ourselves with Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Circumcision is a confirmation sign which bears witness to Abraham's faith that God will fulfill his promise to him. Circumcision is a mark of this covenant, pretty much like you're signing a contract. Okay, now that we've laid that foundation, and there'll be a test at the end. No, I'm just kidding. So now looking at that, how do we understand Paul's teaching? Look at slide 9. Here we are again, Romans 2.25. Circumcision is of value, and again, you have these clauses there, the word if. if. If you practice the law. That word practice that you can see up here has the idea of the way you're living, your way of life. So circumcision indeed has value, and there's the word namat, law, if you practice it. But if you transgress the parabetes, if you overstep the bounds of the law and by breaking the namas, the law, your circumcision has now become uncircumcision. Very important there. The Greek spells it out pretty clearly. See, Paul, keep in mind, church, Paul was fully aware of what these Jewish people back in his day were thinking, which is why he needed to deal with them regarding circumcision. You got to understand, what was their mindset back then? If you and I could go back in time and take a peek into their mindset, what they were thinking about. They were thinking to themselves this. Hey, Paul, Paul, listen, God gave us this sign and this seal of circumcision. And Paul, listen, we Jews are the ones he gave this to. So, Paul, how can you say that we're under God's wrath? How can you even say that, Paul? How, Paul, how can you even be think? that we would be treated the same way the Gentiles would be treated by God. Paul, listen. Yeah, we've sinned, Paul. Yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll tell you we've failed numerous times. But Paul, listen, we're still God's people, and God would never destroy his own people. And Paul's circumcision proves this. We are the heirs of the Abrahamic covenant, Paul. So Paul begins to dismantle the argument by saying to them that although circumcision is of great value, if you prosso, you practice it, if your way of life is living and practicing the law. That word practice has the idea of something that is done as a habitual way of life. You're doing it habitually. So Paul is saying, listen, circumcision is of value if you practice habitually and keeping the law is a way of life. But see, Paul's smart enough to realize something. He knows they didn't do that. And if we go through the Old Testament, we can clearly see they really didn't do that. Circumcision does reveal that you're God's people, but only on the condition that you are a holy, set-apart people. Paul says that if you're going to transgress, that means overstep the line. The idea is if... Uh, this is private property, and there's a fence there. It says private property, and you step over the line. 
and you go onto somebody else's property, which is trespassing, you're transgressing the law. That gives you an idea of what's talking there. So he's saying if you're a transgressor of the law, you're willfully deviating from the law, you say, listen, your circumcision has absolutely no value at all. Paul says that you might as well be an uncircumcised person if you're not going to keep the law. And he realized that they couldn't keep the law. Slide 10. Look at verse 26 as he builds on it. So here now Paul really is starting to hammer home. He says, listen, if the, un, if the uncircumcised man, listen, if he's keeping the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision, the fact he's you know, dead in his sins, he's a Gentile, be regarded as circumcision? Now we need to understand that Paul is not making some argument that a person can keep the whole law. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no one, not one. All of us have turned aside. All of us are going the wrong way. And Paul knows this clearly about the Jews because he was one. So he's trying to hypothetically state this. If a person who is uncircumcised should keep the whole law, but he happens to be uncircumcised, he's not of the Jewish nation. Paul's saying, wouldn't he be regarded as circumcised because God is really interested in those who are keeping the law? He's really turning it on them now. You see, church, Paul's trying to drive home a point to the Jews that they should not rely on circumcision to escape God's wrath and judgment. They're not free from God's judgment just because they happen to have been circumcised when they were eight days old. And people are not going to escape God's judgment just because they're raised in a Christian home or they go to church on Sunday or get baptized or take communion. That's not going to have any of us escape God's judgment at all. Do not believe that for a minute. Going to doing those things and going to church will not save you. What God wants is a holy people who loves Him and is set apart for Himself. Look at verse uh, slide 11. Look at Romans 2.27. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, you're breaking the law? I like how the New Living puts it. Real, breaks it down real simple. In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but you're not willing to obey it. It's a simpler way of putting it. So Paul's further building on his case here when he says that if somebody that is uncircumcised did keep the law, even though they're not circumcised, wouldn't that person be condemning you? The Jew has the letter of the law, and yet you're, you're resting on your circumcision? Listen, breaking God's law condemns you and disbars you from salvation, even if you're Jewish. See, God's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or you're from Ukraine or Russia or Pennsylvania or something like that. None of that has anything to do with saving you. Now, Paul, yet again, is citing God's standard of judgment apart from the gospel of God as a means of erasing any kind of distinction between a Jew and non-Jew. So at this point, Paul's not pointing the way of salvation, but what he's simply doing is revealing to the Jews <clears throat> that their position, despite their covenant privileges, is really no different 
than that of the Gentiles. I'm sure that fired them up. This is not what they wanted to hear, believe me. So what Paul means, church, is that disobedience, <clears throat> breaking God's law, brings condemnation. The Jews cannot depend on a covenant status, which is symbolized by the law and circumcision, in order to be saved. Just like you and I today cannot rely on being part of a church or being baptized to save us. That won't save you at all. So listen, we've already learned that knowing God's will and being instructed by the law and then breaking the law reveals that a lack of understanding isn't the problem here. It's not that they don't know. But in the doing of the law, not just hearing it, are we putting what we learn from the Scriptures into practice? Do we go home and take what we've heard today and say, where do I need to grow? Where do I need to change? Where do I need to develop to honor Christ? So for you and I today, church, listen. Hear me this morning. Living the Christian life and walking with the Lord, not just hearing it on Sundays, and then living a willfully sinful life is no different than the guy that is a Jew that is circumcised. Just like the Jews did not win God's approval just because they were circumcised. Listen, you and I will not win God's approval just because we attend church on Sunday or we get baptized. I hope you hear that this morning. So then the solution to the problem doesn't lie in this deeper understanding of the law, the Ten Commandments, but rather faith in Yeshua, which in turn leads to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the breaking of sin's stranglehold over you and I, church. Did you hear that? Disobeying God's law cancels out any advantage of circumcision. Slide 12. Look at verse 28 and 29. And here he's just putting the stamp right on it. Boom. <clears throat> For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that part of his heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men but from God. Look at slide 13. <clears throat> Here's a, Again, I want to use the New Living Translation to kind of Break it down a little easier for you guys to understand. It translates it this way. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, listen, listen. It is a change of heart that is produced by the Holy Spirit. A change of heart produced by the Holy Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Amen? To sum this up then, we can conclude that what really makes a man a Jew is not so much that he belongs to some ethnic nation or group but rather it is an inward state. 
Paul is driving home this very point that circumcision is not a matter of something that is external as in the flesh as the Jews were thinking of. He's trying to bring them along and help them understand this church. <clears throat> it's something that is in the heart and spirit of the inner man. Church, hear me this morning. It's an inner grace that reveals itself on the outside by how you and I live. God initially gave them this external sign, this external sign. But church, hear me. The real evidence is in the heart of each person, whether a Jew or a non-Jew. It's clear that no ritual will ever save a person. It will never save a person, church. It doesn't take a whole lot to impress people. You can impress them by your Bible knowledge, your musical skills, or just being a moral person. <clears throat> but people only see the outside. They only see your outward behavior, your performance. But what they do not see is what's in your heart. Only God can see that deep, church. Let's never forget that God sees you all the way through the deepest recesses of your heart. So then what makes a man a Jew is not that he's born of Israel. It's more about his relationship to Christ. Look at slide 14. I like what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see Yahweh. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, they shall see Yahweh. Pastor Jack, what does that word blessed mean? I'm so glad you asked. It has the idea of a joy and satisfaction that lasts regardless of whatever the circumstances in your life that you're going through. That joy carries you through when all falls apart and all hell's against you. Because your joy is not rooted in your circumstance, it's rooted in a person whose name is Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure, unpolluted, unstained, unsoiled. You know, everybody today seems to want to be blessed, but sadly, most folks today seek that blessing in the material things of the world, whether it's money, power, sensual pleasures. But he says, blessed is the pure. Your heart is holy, it's unsoiled. The person who is pure in heart will strive daily to live a clean life that glorifies God. Here's another thing that people don't like to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway. This person will separate themselves from anything that would separate them from Christ. Is the bottle separating you from the Lord? Is it the bottle or your family? Is it heroin or crack or your family? Ask yourself, what is separating me from the Lord? Is it 20,000 hours a week on Facebook, Instagram? What's that person doing five minutes and two seconds from now? What is it that gets in the way of your alone time with God? What's getting in your way with your walk with the Lord, church? What's trying to hijack your heart? And it's hard today because the trappings of the world bring 
pain relief. It's like the great Tylenol or ibuprofen, you know. But listen, you and I are called to be separate from anything that would separate us from Christ. We're the ones that are supposed to be putting him on full display. So it's what's on the inside that counts. It's holiness, truth. It's your relationship with the Lord. Remember, here, here's something we need to understand. Every one of us has been born outside of the Garden of Eden. We are all guilty before holy God. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter your nationality, your ethnic background, color your skin. Every one of us are equally lost and in desperate need of Christ. Every one of us. So if you and I are relying on anything else other than Christ, we are in trouble. Because there ain't much time left, church. Listen, there is no law, there's no ritual, whether being circumcised, baptized, taking communion, that's going to ever make you acceptable to God. Only the blood of Christ will do that. We have learned that being acceptable to God is never an outward thing or it's not an outward behavior. Being acceptable to God is something that takes place inside of us. It's being born again by God's Spirit. So those who belong to Christ have been circumcised spiritually in their hearts. He sealed it with His blood. He sealed it. Slide 15. Look at Colossians 2, 11. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Or, as the New Living says, when you came to faith in Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision in the cutting away of your sinful nature. Think about that great bloody scalpel of the Lord cutting away that sin nature that's trying to destroy you and your family and your relatives and friends, church. And this isn't something new, slide 16, and we're just about done. Moreover, the Lord, Yahweh your God, Yahweh your Elohim, will circumcise your heart. He's going to circumcise the heart of your descendants, descendants to love Yahweh your Elohim with all of your heart, with all of your soul, so that you may live. Slide 16, the NLT. The Lord your God will change your heart. He's going to change the hearts of your descendants so that you will love Him with all of your heart and soul so that you may live. Has that happened to you? I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice who's doing the changing of your heart. Listen, when you... If you and when you came to a saving faith in Christ, the Lord begins to do a surgical cutting away of your sin nature. That's one of the ways you can tell that you're truly born again. He's going to be cutting away at your sin nature. You see, the Holy Spirit begins to do this work on the inside of you, in your heart. Here's something else. <clears throat> you don't enter into this journey by trying to be a good person or do rituals or go to church, you enter in this relationship, this journey, 
by faith alone in Christ. Faith is the conduit whereby all of that grace of God is applied to your life, church. Prior to being saved, we all followed the course of this world. We all indulged in the flesh of this world. We did what we wanted to do. We pursued our own dreams, our own agendas. It was all about what we wanted to bring pleasure to us without any pain. And we know that's all true for all of us. Come on. But when you truly come to a saving faith in Christ, something incredible and supernatural takes place inside you. We no longer want to go our own way. We no longer follow along with the crowd. We no longer want to do what unsaved people do. When you come to faith in Christ, all of your sin, past, present, and future, listen to me, it's forgiven. It doesn't matter what you did. When you come to faith in Christ, no matter what you did, it's washed away by the blood. It's forgiven. I hope you understand that. All charges against you are canceled out when you come to faith in Christ. You're set apart and free from the bondage of sin that cripples your life. You see, Jesus wants you to exchange that heavy load of sin that's weighing you down, the drugs, the alcohol, the promiscuity, whatever it is that's crushing your life. And he says, I want you to cast it all on me. I'm going to give you a light load. That's the great exchange, church. Is that happening to you? He says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care about you. Literally in the Greek, he says, listen, take all the garbage. Take the bottle, the drugs, and throw it on him. Slide 17. Jesus finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. He says, listen, enter through the stenos gate, the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. The way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who are going through it. The many are the crowd, the, they're, they're called the many, the ones going through the narrow gate. By the way, the Stenos gate, the narrow gate, is filled with all kinds of obstacles where you have to cling to Christ to walk you through them. That's the idea of the narrow gate. He says, listen, the Stenos gate, the narrow gate, is going to have all these obstacles. All these things are going to try to trip you up. That's why you'd have to cling to Christ to walk you through it. The wide gate says, hey, there's a party here. Let's just keep going. Forget all your troubles. Verse 14, he says, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Let me close. Church, hear me this morning. The narrow gate requires something. It requires repentance. You hear me? It requires repentance. That means you're turning away from the behaviors that are destructive. It requires that you leave the baggage of your sinful life behind. You don't want to be looking back and turn into a pillar of salt. All the sinful baggage that you've been carrying, leave it behind. It requires that you and I leave behind this, this love affair and affection for sin. The love of this world and the love of self. It means that we must be stripped of all of our self-sufficiency. It means we need to be stripped of all of our self-righteousness, church. 
See, Jesus is calling you and I to leave behind all of that and walk daily with him. The question this morning is, are you doing it? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning and close your eyes. We don't know if today is going to be our last day. I'm not here to get into preaching, into revelation and prophecy at this stage. I'm going to take you all the way through the book of Romans verse by verse. But I can tell you this. Go home and read Matthew 24. We are on the brink of destruction like we've never been before. And it doesn't take a rocket science to see it. You and I don't know if we're going to be here this afternoon, tonight, or tomorrow. If you were to drop dead this afternoon and you were ushered in before the throne of the Lord and he was to look you straight in the eyes and he looked at you and he said, listen, why should I let you into heaven? Your answer can't be, well, I did more good than bad. Your answer can't be, well, my mom and dad were Christians. Your answer can't be, well, I go to church every Sunday. Your answer can't be, I got baptized. The only answer is this, because Christ died for me. He shed his blood on that cross to wash away my sin debt. The only way that you will be saved is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a way that does seem right unto man, but the end is death thereof. I'm encouraging you this morning. My job is not to try to convince you to get saved. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to give you the eugalium, the good news, the gospel. If you do not know with 100% certainty that you were born again, 1 John 5.13 says, These things have been written so that you may know intimately how to have eternal life. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is gripping at your heart right now, now is the time. Now is the time for you, please hear me, to get right with God. Now is the time to surrender your life. Now is your time to open up your mouth to Him and confess your sins to Him. If you confess your sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to continually cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Please understand that when you get saved, it doesn't mean that you never sin again. I sin every day in thoughts, words, deeds. Ask my wife. <laughs> I sin every day. <clears throat> but see, here's the thing about the blood. You see, that blood is so powerful that it cleanses me from sin past, present right now, and future. The Bible says that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. Please understand, you cannot. If you're truly born again, don't believe the lie that you can lose your salvation. Nobody's sin is ever going to be greater than God's grace or His blood. He says... All that the Father has given me will come to me, and I will in no wise cast them out, as our good King James says. So if you're here this morning, now is the time for you to confess your sins. Listen, he already knows what you did anyway. The confession is for you to take that load of garbage off of yourself, throw it on top of Jesus, because you know what? He's the only one that can handle it. Look up and receive the Lord's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance.